to be a pilot because when, when I grew up in the 80s, I watched the movie Top Gun. And, and man, it laid a hold of me. I was like, that, I am doing that. I am, I'm going to be a pilot. And obviously God had other plans. Um, talked about opening lines of stories. Shared some of the, the great opening lines in history. Of course, and Carol's, Carol's with us today. So, uh, you know, space, the final frontier. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Those were just for you. Um, but my favorite of them all, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And the, the reason that's my favorite is because it is the beginning of not just your stories, uh, of the, of the, not just the beginning of the Bible story, but it's the beginning of our story, yours and mine together. It's the place where God set things in motion. He says to Jeremiah in, in Jeremiah chapter 1 that he says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you and I'd set you apart and had a call on your life and I had a destiny for you. What an amazing picture of God's sovereign plan, the fact that he is working. We talked last week about the fact that we have a God story. We have a story that's hidden in him, a story that we get to share that brings glory to his name. But here's the deal. This morning, I'm going to throw a bit of a curveball. I'm going to make this statement. So part two, more than a story. I titled this morning, Your Story Isn't About You. Your Story Isn't About You. I remember as a kid, um, we went to someone's house. I don't remember whose house. I, just, I was a kid. My parents would get in the car. We're going somewhere. We went somewhere. And we're hanging out with these people. And then we reached this point in the, in the, the evening where they said, hey, we just got back from vacation. Some of you are going to so appreciate this. And they pulled out the slide projector. You guys remember that? Watching the slideshow of someone else's vacation memories. And you have the ones that are upside down or flipped around. And, you know, the slide, you get the slides jammed in the carousel and you have to, like, fix it. Anyone like that just taking you way back right now? Um, and at first it was kind of fun, right? You're watching someone's slideshow. And then after a while you start thinking this. When will this end? Please, God, make it stop. Because they're just reveling in their memory, and you're like, this is not fun anymore. This is just all about you, and I don't want to watch this anymore. But here's the deal. In our current culture, we might not use slide projectors. If you do, you're awesome. I think that's pretty rad. Um, We don't use slide projectors, but we do have social media, things like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And we've become such a self-involved, self-obsessed society and, and now, don't get me wrong, right out the gate, I, I love being on Facebook, I use Facebook, I use it uh, to, to check up on what people are doing. No, I, I, Facebook is not bad in and of itself, or social media isn't. It's a great tool, it's a great way to stay connected. I have family in South Africa that before Facebook, you know, we were having to make very expensive phone calls, and now we get to connect constantly. I have family all over the world, and we get to see... I know that my cousin who lives in Dubai went to a movie with his wife the other night. How cool is that? But here's the deal. We understand, and you know if you're on Facebook, you have that friend that all ever ever do is post selfies of themselves at everything. And it's like eventually, I, you know, anyone ever had to hide, not, not unfriend, we don't do that, but hide someone's 
like from from your timeline because that's all that's ever happening is you're like you know every single detail about their lives and that same reaction comes up please god make it stop I don't need to see you everywhere doing everything. And, uh, and so we've even coined that term, selfie. We take selfies now. We, uh, I got for Christmas, I got a selfie stick that I put my camera, and now I can take pictures of myself from a distance. How crazy is that? We're all about self. Your story isn't about you. Your story isn't about you. So who is it about? Well, I don't think it'll be a shock or a surprise to you that your story is really about Jesus. Your story is about Jesus Christ. We looked last week at Revelation chapter 12, kind of the anchor verse for this series. It says in Revelation 12, 11, if we can get that up on the screen, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. Speaking about the believers who are being persecuted for their faith, which I believe we're, we're in the end times, and, and persecution looks different all around the world, that there are believers today who are being persecuted, their very lives are, be, are, are in jeopardy because of their faith in Christ. But I believe that persecution comes in all kinds of forms. And in the church in America, we might not say, well, we're not being physically persecuted. I, I don't believe any of us, lives were threatened on the way uh, well, I'm changing that now because I drove the I-5 carpool lane today. But, but there is no one attacking us because of our faith, because we're going to church, where that is happening around the world. But see, persecution doesn't, it doesn't find its root in people. It finds itself in Ephesians 6, like Margie was sharing. It's, it's, it's not flesh and blood, but it's principalities and powers. And so the enemy is coming against us. And here's the danger, is that we don't even see it. John 10.10 says that the enemy wants to come and and kill and steal and destroy. And that we live in a place where we're so consumed with self that we don't even see where the enemy is persecuting. Well, here Jesus is talking to the church or to the believers um, through through, uh, through the apostle John. Saying this, you know, this, this statement that they overcame him, who the enemy, by first the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb is Critical, the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, His blood shed for us for the forgiveness of sin. We can just keep that verse up there, Daniel, that'd be awesome. They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the testimony. You know, I, I, I love this passage. I use this passage all the time when I'm speaking about testimony and encouraging someone in their testimony. But it was even this last week as I was studying, the Lord brought some revelation to me about what the word of the testimony is. Because I can read word of the testimony. I get that Jesus did something, but then I go word of the testimony. Well, I've just got to say something. I've got to tell, tell people my story. And the Lord started just working on my heart and saying, no, you got it wrong. See, the blood of the lamb is about Jesus, and the word of the testimony is about Jesus. They're both about him. It's all about who he is. It's not just vocalizing your story. It's about who the object of your story is is there's this term that's used in 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 story or in narrative it's this term meta-narrative meta-narrative or grand narrative the idea that you can tell many stories but they all have one theme they're all connected they all flow together somehow 
when I was in high school, uh, a group of friends I would hang out with, we would love to have Monty Python in the Search for the Holy Grail on. We, it didn't matter what we were doing. That movie seemed to be on in the background constantly. I uh, probably played it hundreds of times, and as a result, can quote all the lines and all of that. But if you've ever watched that movie, if you like just a nice, clean story that doesn't, you know, mess with your head, that's not the movie to watch. Because, because you know the story of King Arthur and the, the search for the Holy Grail. And then Monty Python, they just mess it all up. There's nothing that makes sense. They don't have horses. They have coconuts that they bang together. And there's swallows carrying coconuts. And there's people, there's rabbits with teeth. And, it, and if you're not tracking with me, that's totally the point of the movie. In fact, there's no closure. At the end of the movie, the whole thing unravels. A police car shows up. Now, this medieval England, a police car shows up. And then the movie just ends. And you're just going, what was that? Now, of course, it's, it's comedy, it's slapstick, it's supposed to be that way, and some people love, anyone just love Monty Python? Anyone got that kind of, anyone you're like, no, that's not for me, not my cup of tea. Yeah, my wife is like, and I, I don't get to watch those with her. Nothing, nothing fits. Disjointed doesn't make sense. See, that story, there's no meta-narrative, nothing connects. But when we, start, when we talk about Scripture, when we talk about Jesus Christ, we talk about our lives, that there is a meta-narrative, there is a grand story that's taking place. And the reason that I can make the statement that in the beginning is the beginning of your story and my story is because we see all throughout Scripture and throughout history that God is, is, has connected our lives to each other through Jesus Christ. And it all comes back to Him who he is, the person of Jesus. There's an article that came out in Christianity Today a few years ago about a woman named Kimberly Shoemate. Kimberly was a witch, self-proclaimed witch practicing witch. And the story highlighted the journey that she had from being a witch and, and finding Jesus Christ. Says this, in fact, this is what she's quoted as saying this. As Lisa drove me home, my mind ached as I replayed Scott's words. All the Old Testament and New Testament verses had one oddly familiar voice, one tone, one heart. I wondered, how could a book written by so many different people over the course of hundreds of years fit together perfectly? as if one amazing storyteller had written the whole thing. The Holy Spirit Spirit began melting my vanity and arrogance with a power stronger than any hex, incantation, or spell I'd ever used. And suddenly the blindfold I'd worn for almost 30 years was stripped away, and instantly I knew that I had been searching for Jesus. Searching for Jesus. Meta-narrative of Jesus Christ in Scripture. How can a book written over thousands of years by all of these different people have this one theme that someone who's not even walking with Jesus Christ is not filled with the Spirit, but can read the old, read the new, and realize this is tied together. This just works. Why? Because it's pointing people to Jesus. Jesus is found in Scripture. He's found in the Word of God. But at the same time, He is the Word of God. 
There's these, these attributes about who Jesus is that just should blow our minds because they're mind-blowing. They're amazing. We can't wrap our heads around it. John, who wrote the book of Revelation, who received the revelation from, from Jesus Christ, uh, writes in, in an earlier book, the Apostle John, in John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, he says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing, has been, uh, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. This is a reference to in the beginning. That Jesus was there. He was present at creation. He was present before creation. He was present in the Old Testament. He was present in the lives of the people that were searching him for him. He was present in, in, the, in the lives of the Israelites. He was present in David's life. He was present in, in Solomon's life and in Micah and Habakkuk. He was present in Esther's life. He was there. It's not like Jesus shows up in the, on the scene in, in Matthew chapter 1. Like he's been hiding in the background somewhere. And now all of a sudden there's that, that character we haven't been introduced to yet. Jesus was there. So when we read the Old Testament, we see Jesus. We see Jesus. He goes on to say in verse 14 of that same chapter, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. Listen to that. John, the Baptist John, John the Baptist testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Catch that? The one that's coming after me has surpassed me because he isn't coming after me. He was before me. He's always been. John testified. The testimony of, of John's life was pointing to Jesus. It was about Jesus. John the Baptist got this. He understood this. He knew that this was critical for him and his disciples. In fact, at one point, John's disciples and Jesus' disciples are a little confused about who they were supposed to follow. And John the Baptist was not about himself. He's going, no, it's not about me. You need to follow him. Follow Jesus Christ. He's the one. I must decrease and He must increase. This is the heart of Jesus Christ, that we would know Him this way. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Four square and in four square churches around the country and around the world, this is the verse that's displayed. It's the verse that we hang on to. As a four-square church, we believe in the four-square gospel that Jesus Christ is our Savior. Is that me? Where's a... Can you hear me now? All right, here we go. Jesus Christ is our, our, our Savior, our healer, our baptizer, and our coming King. It is a Christ-centric gospel. It points back to who Jesus is, and that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Jesus of the Old Testament, 
The Jesus that was present at creation is the same Jesus that's working in our lives today. And therefore, our testimony isn't about us, it's about him. In the same way that the testimony of Abraham's life wasn't about Abraham, it was about Jesus. It all comes back to this meta-narrative. So what does this mean for us? What's the point? When we think about more than a story, well, how do I apply this? Because these are big concepts. I was sitting in my, in my uh, bedroom studying, and I'm just going, oh, man, okay, how, how do we put handles on this? How do we make this something that we can, in our daily lives, use, make applicable? Well, there's two things that, that I believe for, for the purposes of this series and for what God's teaching us, there's two things that I, I want to highlight. The first is this, is it gives us a lens for how to read Scripture. It gives us a lens for understanding Scripture. The second thing is this, it equips us to accurately and appropriately share our God story. It gives us, it equips us to accurately and appropriately Why? Because I believe some people share their testimony, their God story, and they don't do it appropriately, and they don't do it accurately. I'm getting ahead of myself. So here's what I I, I was like, this is what we're going to do. Today we're going to focus on the lens of understanding Scripture. Next Sunday, we'll talk about what it means to be equipped to accurately and appropriately share our story. Okay, so don't miss next Sunday. That's next week. This Sunday... Give us a lens, gives us a lens for reading the Bible. It gives us a lens for reading Scripture. See, the Word of God is not just a random compilation of stories. You, back in the day, you used to get Reader's Digest. Anyone used to get, anyone still get Reader? Do they still make Reader's Digest? Is it still in print? Wow. Fighting against the tide, right? Amazing. Well, Reader's Digest was great because you would just get all of these condensed versions of story. It's really for people who are lazy readers, and I went the point of the story without reading the whole book. But you would get all of these short stories, long stories. There were some comics in there. That's what I would read. And, and that was about, and the, but none of them were really related. They were just a digest. They were just a compilation of random stories. The Bible is not a Reader's Digest. It's not just random the Bible isn't just meant to be informational. God didn't give us this book so that we could just add to our knowledge or be informed about things. Now, it, that's part of what it does, but it is not the underlying purpose of what Scripture is. It's not just simply informational. And it's not just meant to be inspirational either. Right? You can go to Barnes & Noble and you're going to find the, uh, the aisle with all of the Self-help books, which is an oxymoron if we understand Scripture. They're great attempts at people trying to fix themselves. And God says, your righteousness is like filthy rags. Don't mean to be a downer, but the reality is we do not have the capacity or the tools or the understanding to fix ourselves. We just don't. We're not that smart. You're not that smart. You're like, I don't really like this new pastor. Um, <laughs> can I get an amen? We're just not that smart. And the idea that me somehow reading a book that another not smart person wrote, 
It's going to somehow help me. Um, it's the blind leading the blind. But you see, we're so self-absorbed that we even think, we buy into the lie, we drink the Kool-Aid and think, I can help myself be a better person. Let me know how that works out. See, because I've, I've had the opportunity to sit and counsel people who try to fix their own lives, try to fix their own marriages, try to fix their own children, and it doesn't work. In fact, it usually makes things worse. See, the Bible's not just meant to be inspirational, though it will inspire. That God has given us his word so that we can be transformed. This book is transformational. We don't read the Bible, it reads us. It speaks to us. That the Jesus of the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Jesus Christ who gave his life for you and for me, is speaking to us through the words that are printed on these pages and saying, I have a plan for your life, just the way, same way he did to Jeremiah. That's why I can quote that verse. I don't know Jeremiah. We didn't meet. He lived thousands of years ago. Yet I can read the words and the dialogue that he had with God the Father about the value of his life, and it touches my life. It speaks to me and says, there's value and there's a plan for your life. Because the same, the same Jesus Christ, who doesn't ever change, spoke to Jeremiah and said, I know who you are, and before I formed you, I have a plan for your life. That same Jesus, who doesn't change, speaks to us, speaks to me. says, I have a plan for your life. And before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew the plan. I knew what I wanted to do. The meta-narrative of Scripture, the meta-narrative of a God story, it's a redemption story, something that was lost, something that was lost right in Genesis, right in the beginning. Purity and a love and a communion with God that was awesome and amazing and lost because of sin being introduced. It was gone, it was taken away, it was robbed because of the heart of man wanting to do what? Help self. What was the lie that the enemy comes in Adam and Eve and he says, you know, try some of this fruit. And Eve says, well, we were told we shouldn't do that. And the enemy says these words, which I believe he still says. Did God really say? You know what it is that God just doesn't want you to be like him. And so Satan becomes the first proponent of self-help. It was the self-help apple. Here, if you eat this, you will help yourself and you will become like God. <laughs> oh, gosh. And he goes to the Mac joke. Wow. Wow. How do you even recover from that? I'll be praying for you. right oh there's so many things i could say right now did god really say and how many of us we've heard the voice of the enemy maybe not audibly but you've heard the enemy go did god really say did god really say you shouldn't do that did god really say that that's not a good idea did god really say that you need to stay away from that right and then we we take that and we join it with galatians chapter 5 it's for freedom that you've been set free and so we go well i'm free i'm free in jesus christ so and deception sets in paul says itching ears start hearing whatever they want to hear jesus christ the same yesterday today and forever he says no 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 
Something was set out of order in the Garden of Eden. And the redemption story, the meta-narrative of Scripture is, I'm bringing things back into alignment. God, from that moment, set in motion the plan that he had for Jesus to come and save our lives, to restore us, to redeem us. It is a redemptive story. The meta-narrative of Scripture is this. It is a love story. It is a love story. It is a love story of a God who loves his people, of a Savior who loves his people so much that he would lay down his own life. It's a love story. And it all points to Jesus. It all points to Jesus. This is why the prophets in the Old Testament are quoted in the New Testament, because their prophetic words pointed to a day when a Savior would come. Even the way that Israel was delivered from Egypt, that we see Jesus Christ and a picture of who Jesus Christ is in the midst of that. Was that an android? Oh, wow. Thanks for that. (laughs) I silenced my Mac, so my Apple... The power of the word of God is this in Hebrew. (laughs) Nice. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says this. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. That the word of God is not dormant, it's not dead, it's not irrelevant, it is alive. And it is for you and it is for me to be able to jump in and read about the lives of men and women that lived thousands of years ago. Read about their testimony, their God story, what God did in their lives. In the, in the solid life reading plan, we've been reading about the life of Job and the dialogue he's having with his friends. And I'm just, I, every time I read Job, I'm just like, thank God, thank you. I'm not Job. But here's a guy who had everything against him, yet he clung to God. His wife even says to him, why don't you just curse God and die? They need a marriage self-help book. Um, Why don't you just curse God and die? And Job's like, you know what? Even if he forsakes me, I will keep blessing his name. I will stay true to who my God is, and I know him to be. The testimony of a life like, like Job. Margaret mentioned David, who was flawed, wasn't perfect. And I'm so thankful, not that he fell or that he had struggles, but that I can relate to that. Can you imagine if everyone in Scripture was just perfect? I wouldn't want to read it. Yet we read about the failures and the shortcomings of people who, who struggled in their faith, yet they clung to Jesus before they even knew who Jesus was. And those stories touch our hearts. Why? Because the word of God is alive and it's active, that it's doing something in us. It's not just providing information or inspiration, that it is transforming us from the inside out as we allow Jesus to touch our lives. God's word will do this. The testimony of God's word will encourage you. It will equip you. It will convict you. It will correct you. 
It will build your faith. It will cause you to gain wisdom and understanding from the testimony of men and women who lived thousands of years ago. It will do all of these things. And yet, so often it's hard just to even pick it up and read it. Why why does this fit with more than a story? Why does this matter to my testimony? See, because I want my testimony to be about Jesus. When I was in Bible college, I had a professor who made this statement. I actually wrote it in, in the Bible I had at the time. It's actually still sitting on my bookshelf. Says that He said in, in one of our classes, you cannot preach what you do not live. You cannot live what you do not know. Study the word. You might be going, I'm not a preacher. Yes, you are, because that's what your testimony is. You are proclaiming the truth of who Jesus Christ is in your life. See, sharing your testimony, sharing the gospel, what Jesus has done in your life is just as powerful as reading the stories of these people. Why? Because it comes alive through the Holy Spirit. And God causes your story and my story to impact the lives of other people. But we need to know those stories. We need to let those things encourage us and build us up and equip us and correct us and build our faith. We need wisdom. James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, ask. Just ask. See, and the reason I can quote that scripture is because I've read that scripture. And I can hang on to it. So when the trials come... I've got something I can lay a hold of and say, no, wait, wait a minute. I have the testimony of generations of people who've seen the faithfulness of God. And so as this story becomes a part of our story, our story becomes a transformational story in the world around us. You catch that? As this story becomes our story, we're a part of this meta narrative. It changes who we are, and then our story becomes transformational in the world around us. That people need to hear the story of what God has done in your life. They need to hear about who Jesus is to you. And the impact he's had on your life, and the things that he's spoken, just like this woman that that they wrote about in Christianity Today, to go from being a witch for 30 years, practicing witchcraft, and what she say, no hex or incantation or anything that she had practiced in, in magic, came close, was ever able to help her see Jesus. But the Holy Spirit turned that around. The blindfold fell from her eyes, and she was able to, to find what she had been looking for. And I love that. She was looking for Jesus. So your story isn't about you. Your story is about Jesus Christ living in you and through you. Your story is about pointing back to him. Look what God has done. In Revelation chapter 12, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word. The word. The word of their testimony. The word of our testimony needs to be Jesus Christ. That it points back to Jesus. It points back to Jesus. It points back to Jesus. I've heard testimonies from people where at the end of it, I'm like, well, you, you really didn't talk about Jesus a lot. You talked about yourself a lot. We would say, let's talk more about what Jesus is in us and to us than just about our story. Now, listen, I wanna, our stories matter to the Lord as well and the details, right? But think about the slideshow. Are people 
being fed? Are they being equipped? Are they being inspired? Are there things that are happening? Is, is there transformation being introduced as we share our story? Is that taking place? That's next week. I'm going to stay this week. Don't miss next week. I want to close with this. This is a solid life journal. If New Community has been your home church for any amount of time, you've seen one of these before. If you've gone through the OSL classes, you've definitely seen one of these. Um, But if you've not ever seen one of these or don't know what one of these are, I'm going to explain it. And for those of you who need a refresher, here's a refresher. Um, this This is one of the most powerful tools that you can use in in. Taking scripture, as David says, and hiding it in your heart. David says, I've, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That was his cry because he knew he was flawed. But we need tools to be able to do that, to be able to accomplish that goal. What the Solid Life Journal does is it provides a place for you to record the things that God is speaking to you. It has a Bible reading plan, I believe it's in the back. You can flip to the back. It's a chronological, goes through uh, a year long. It's an annual reading plan that actually takes you through all of Scripture. And you'll see in the back, there's, there's three columns. One says uh, New Testament reading plan. The second one is the solid life reading plan, which covers the whole Bible. And then uh, the one-two reading plan, Old Testament once and New Testament twice. The reason that's done is that some people, reading is... is more of a grind, and you're like, well, just a lot. I know when I was younger, the thought of having to read an hour every day, I was like, well, I'm going to fail anyway. Might as well just stop now. That was my thinking as a kid. And the goal of this is just to make it accessible. I love What I love about this reading plan as a church is that we can read the same passages. We'll be on the same pages in the same times. So we can share about the stories. We can sit around a table or have a cup of coffee and go, did you read about Job? Oh my goodness, yeah, that was amazing. Megan and I read these together. We'll read and we'll come back and talk. And she's like, wow, did you see that? And I'll see something different. Why? Because the word of God is active and alive. And so we're, the, the, the Word of God will speak to those things that are current in our lives where God wants to touch our hearts. And so reading through the plan, reading through, uh, through each day, reading the Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, I know a lot of people, I know when I was, again, younger, I read a lot of the New Testament and not a lot of the Old Testament because who really wants to read Leviticus? And at a certain point, you're like, okay, all right, I don't understand how not eating bats is relevant to me. And it's in there. It's in there. Can I just tell you I'm walking in complete victory in that part of my life. Um, <laughs> so, the, so the way it works, real quick rundown. Read the, read the passage. Set some time aside each day. Read the reading. But be praying and saying, Lord, what do you want to speak to me? What do you want to reveal to me about who you are and the plans that you have for my life? And sometimes it's a lot to take in, but look for that one thing that sticks out. You ever reading the Bible and and there's a verse that just jumps off the page and smacks you right in the face and you're like, oh my goodness. Sometimes I do the full reading and then I go back. Sometimes I hit that verse and I just have to stop because God just kind of fillets me and he's like, yep, that's for you. Here's a little correction. Uh, and I'll stop, and I'll. And there's a soap method. Forgive me if, if you know this already. Awesome. Um, 
but it's a great reminder. So the SOAP method is used in this, and, and it's simply this. It's an acronym. It stands for Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. See, for, for, for centuries, the question has been, how do we take the Word of God and apply it to our lives? Because it can be so overwhelming. Well, this is a great tool. And so what you do is whatever that verse is, whatever God is speaking, you stop and, and you write the scripture, actually write out the verse. Now, some of you I know are like voracious journalers. You're just like, I'm going to journal. I'm writing pages and books and I've got stacks. Um, I'm, I'm not wordy when it comes to writing. I just like short and sweet. Right? Just, but write out the verse. Actually write it. It helps you retain it, helps you memorize it. And then on observation, what's going on? What's happening? Right? What's the story? So Job, we're at the end of the book of Job. Man, Job is, has been sitting with these three friends that are discouraging him. They're not helping. And now he's having this conversation with God. And God starts speaking about how much he loves Job. Man, that's amazing. And it's just an observation. What's happening? And then you write an application. Well, how does it apply to me? Well, to carry the Job analogy. Lord, help me to stand strong even in the midst of trials. Job could do what I can do it. All right? Whatever, whatever was in Job's life, Lord, I want that in my life. I want that to be true of me. And then a short prayer. Lord, help me today when I face trials to stand strong, to rely on you. And it's amazing as you start writing, as you start filling pages and days, and you start going back and you read. I was, I was actually reading an old journal of mine last night and the things that God was speaking to me in that season. In fact, I had written a word about God saying, I'm preparing you for a new season three years ago. And looking back, I thought it was something different. I realize now God was speaking to me then about this. I couldn't see it, but he saw. And in the midst of that, you feel the love of God, the love of a Savior. He says, I've got a plan for your life. See, I even gave you clues. You couldn't see it, but I gave you clues. It's amazing. This is the God that we serve. If you don't have one of these, we have them available. I'd love to give them away for free, but we do have to pay for them. And, and so I think we have like seven available right now. They're, they're $5 if you want to grab one um, and then just throw $5 in the offering next week. That's fine. Um, or Kurt, Kurt, well, can you be available? You or Rachel, can you be available if, if people want to uh, pick up a journal at the back? But here's the deal. If you, if you can't afford to buy one today, please just grab one because I would rather have you in the Word. And I'd love for us as a church to be literally on the same page when it comes to reading the Word of God. Um, one point of encouragement, if you miss a day, don't be like I, I am where I'm like, I can't keep reading until I fill in all the check boxes, because, because you, you just will fail. It'll just you'll, it'll, it'll get too much. Just pick it up. If you miss a few days, if you miss a week, pick it up. And whatever the day is, look up the, the date on the, the column there and, and pick it up there. There is something powerful, churches, as we start telling the God story, what Jesus is speaking to us, and we start comparing about the stories about what's happening in Scripture, how God will build our faith as a church, the things that he will speak to us about who Jesus is. See, because we find ourselves in this moment of time looking ahead to what God has for us. And see, I get, to, I get to lead this congregation, but I'm not the only one hearing from Jesus. 
that we get to hear from him together. And the best place for us to hear from him is in the word. And how awesome would it be for us to be a congregation that is hearing God's voice on a daily basis as we delve into Scripture, as we jump in, as we read, as we learn, as we grow, as we are transformed. And I believe with all of my heart that as God transforms us, continues to transform us as a congregation, he will cause us to be a transforming agent in this community. See, but your story isn't about you can't just be about you because if it's just about you, then you'll do things that just take care of you. Story is about Jesus. Story is about what he's doing in this meta-narrative, the big picture, the big story. Let's do this together. Let's join our hearts together and let's, let's hear the voice of God. Let's look to Jesus, lift him up so that people can be drawn to him. Amen. Let's stand together this morning. I wrote these three lines in my journal or in my notes here this morning. That I would see Jesus. That I would see Jesus. And then I wrote this. That we would see Jesus. And then finally, that the world would see Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave. This is the heart of a father, of a God, of a king. Loves his people. Cares about your story. He cares about my story. And he's tying these all together for his glory, for his kingdom. And it's so awesome to be a part of that. So, Father, this morning, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, that we're not lone rangers. Thank you, Lord, that we don't stand alone. Lord, that we don't function alone. Lord, that you've not... uh, you've. Lord, you haven't even set us out there and said, hey, just kind of fix it yourself. Take care of yourself. Thank you, God, that the Bible isn't a self-help book. It is a God-help book, Lord, that you are, you are providing for us what we need through your word and through your Holy Spirit, through a community of faith, Lord, to build us up, to transform us, Lord, so that we can not just be transformed, but that we can be transforming agents in the world. Thank you, Lord, that just like Jeremiah, before you knit us together in our mother's womb, Lord, that you knew us and you had a plan. God, I give you glory for every person's God's story in this room today. Lord, the things that you set in place, the way that you've moved sovereignly to bring people to this place today, to hear this word, this message from your heart. Lord, I pray that as we go, Lord, that we would find time to meet you in your word. Lord, to learn from Isaiah, to learn from Ruth and Boaz. Lord, to learn from John and Luke, to learn from Timothy and Barnabas, to learn about their stories and what you did in their lives, Lord, so that we would be built up, so that we would be transformed, that we would be encouraged to go out and do the same. Thank you, Lord, that your word is alive and active, that it is relevant, that it is for now. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you this morning. Our prayer team is going to come forward. If you would like someone to pray with you for anything, 
any need whatsoever, we would love to partner with you in prayer. Uh, Feel free to do that. Uh, Take time today to greet one another. Don't just head out the door. Say hi to someone. Meet someone new. Uh, Invite someone to lunch. Tell them you'll pay and, and it'll all be good. But have an amazing day. God bless you. We look forward to seeing you next week.